Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Good morning. Welcome to Collective. If we've never met before, my name is Tyler. I'm one of the lead pastors. I have the privilege of leading alongside of my wife, Lee. We're glad that you're here. We are starting a new series for the month of February. That's not just a series, but for us, it is an embracing of a practice of the way of Jesus. We are looking at Sabbath, and we're not just looking at it theoretically. We're not just trying to understand it conceptually. We want to actually integrate it into the rhythms of our life. We're going to look at what it means to stop, rest, delight, and worship. And it's essential that you understand that if the only contribution, the only thing that you're, that you're taking from this is just showing up on a Sunday, that, that you'll miss out on really where this can be super impactful, and that is in co-groups. Because in co-groups, we're going to actually go through a companion guide where we integrate this practice, try some things, let each other know how it went. There's going to be accountability in community. We're going to practice together. And it's going to be clunky sometimes, so we're going to understand that there's a group of people that we're doing it with. And so if you're not in a co-group, and I'll talk about it at the very end, I want to encourage you, join a co-group. The month of February could represent a turning point in your faith formation, in your spiritual life, as you seek to follow the way of Jesus. I want to pray for us, and then we'll dig in. God, I am so grateful. I'm so grateful that you're present. I'm so grateful that you're here right now. God, I pray that you would still our minds, that you would quiet the the noise in between our ears. God, there's all sorts of things vying for our attention. We want to hear you. We want to hear your still, small voice, your whisper. God, I pray that you would be the one that speaks, that it wouldn't just be about ideas that I have, but God, it would be your words, your word that, that cuts to the heart of us. God, so many of us come even here with all sorts of baggage and challenges and maybe a week that was difficult. And we don't have to pretend. We don't have to leave our baggage at the door. God, we bring it to the foot of the cross. We lay it before you. You know it. You know us. God, speak, move in power. Holy Spirit, come. I need you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, we're going to spend some time looking at the idea of stopping. Sabbath part one, stop, that we're invited to stop. The word Sabbath is the Hebrew word Shabbat. And that word Shabbat actually means to stop, to cease, or to be done. This is the invitation for us as we embark on understanding the practice of Sabbath. And it's important that you understand if you pay attention to the world around us that the world is trying to sell us some version of Sabbath. It's like if you could just get away for long enough, escape your reality, then you would find real rest. If you could just buy that next self-care product, it will solve all your problems. And you will find the rest that you are craving. 
If you just buy this program for four easy payments of $16.99, you will find rest. And the problem is that none of that stuff actually delivers. I mean, you go to the grocery store and you see all sorts of magazines that are peddling things that are this false imitation of what Sabbath actually is. And none of the things that we see outside of what God offers can actually fully deliver on this promise of rest. We are invited instead in the way of Jesus to actually pattern our lives and embrace this practice of stopping. Just stopping. Stopping what we're doing. Stopping the striving. Stopping the trying. Stopping. We can actually experience a life of peace in God, through God, where we actually live with joy. And yet for so many of us, that seems to be this distant idea that we wonder if it could ever be true. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 says this in the New Living Translation. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn or let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. And if you ever heard of Eugene Patterson, he wrote something called The Message, which is a paraphrase of the Bible. And this is how he says that exact same passage. Jesus speaking, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion. Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Beautiful picture that we see here painted, that Jesus is painting of life in the way of Jesus. But notice those first few lines, the first few words that Eugene Peterson uses and echoes what the New Living Translation says, where it says, are you tired? It almost feels like a rhetorical question. Are you tired? Yes, of course I'm tired. We're all tired. How's it going? Oh, so busy. Everyone, that's our refrain. We're so exhausted, we're so worn out, we're so busy. It's like the thing that we all are okay with us saying. You're busy too? Me too. Oh, life's just busy. It's a busy season. I'm just, I'm pretty worn out. I'm pretty exhausted. And so when, when Jesus is actually saying, are you tired? We're going, yeah, of course I'm tired. Have you seen what it looks like to live in 2023? Do you know all the expectations that are put on me and that I put on myself? And some of this exhaustion, we look at and go, what are all the theological and spiritual reasons for it? And there are many, but some of it is, is just really practical. We aren't sleeping well. Like, we don't actually get rest. You know that in the not-too-distant past, that the average person would get 10 to 11 hours of sleep every single night? 10 to 11. Do you know what the average in North America is now? Six. You go, I wonder why we're so tired. I was reading something that was talking about the advent of the 
light bulb, and it was like the light bulb will change everything. And what it actually did, and, and I'm not one of those people that's like, let's just start having candles and horse-drawn carriages, just so we're clear. But what the light bulb did is it, it removed this sense of rhythm in our life where we sleep when it's dark and we wake up when it's light. And so suddenly people are just up until three o'clock in the morning and then they get up again at seven and they're like, man, I'm feeling really exhausted. Yeah, that's how that works. And so we're instead, we're looking at this historic rhythm through all of history where we get lots and lots of sleep and we're running ragged and wondering why. So many of us are physically as exhausted and for us it's not just physical, it's also spiritual. It's in our soul. Our souls are exhausted. They're worn out. And it's so fascinating when we actually understand this idea of sleep deprivation and exhaustion in our life. You know that there's a direct, direct link between sleep deprivation and early death? And we're like, you know what, I'll, I'll test those. I'll test that plan. You know what, it won't be me. And you go, so all the science actually says, if you do not find rest, if you do not sleep, you'll die earlier. And you go, you know what, better, better to burn out hard. They're like, really, that's what we want? And so we find ourselves physically exhausted and spiritually exhausted. We feel pressure. We feel pressure to work harder, make enough, fight inflation. We just gotta get ahead. Have you seen how expensive groceries are? Maybe if I stockpile canned goods, then I'll be good. And you just find yourself going, 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 and reacting. Like, we become a people that are so reactive. Everything that's going on around us, it determines how we're feeling. And so we feel all of this, and it's like we're vibrating all the time because we just have so much anxiety in our lives, we don't even know what to do with it. And then we add to it, our phones are constantly buzzing. We're constantly getting notifications. Or what about the fact that we have access to news 24-7 and it's not just three or four networks on TV. We are constantly being informed by how horrible the world is and all the stuff that's going on and we take that on. And as human beings, we, we, we have limited capacity. Like, I want you just to acknowledge in your own life, you are a finite being. And so for us to just constantly take on more and more and more, it's not good for us. In fact, there's a word that is increasingly being used, and that is compassion fatigue. Where like, if I have to hear about one more thing that is horrible in the world, I don't know that I, what do I do with that? And so we're inundated with all sorts of stuff. And we're surrounded by a culture that values outrage and fear. Why? Because it drives clicks, it drives views, it drives focus. And so we're swimming in this world all of the time, wondering why it is harming us. We experience polarization. We experience division. And beyond that, we just feel overwhelmingly distracted. All this stuff that we are living in, that we very rarely pay careful attention to its effects on our soul. And then we buy into this lie of radical individualism where my life is just about me on my own discovering my best self and we miss out on community, the very place that is meant to actually diminish and decrease some of the anxiety we feel because we know we're not alone. And so we find ourselves living this pace of life that is harming us. Of course we're tired. Of course we're worn out. Of course we're exhausted. 
None of us were meant to carry all that we are currently carrying. This was not God's design from the very beginning. And the truth is that this kind of exhaustion has become a massive hindrance for those of us that are actually trying to follow the way of Jesus. If we're actually trying to lay down our life at the foot of Jesus and say, lead me, I want to follow you, I want to be with you, become like you and do what you did, it becomes increasingly difficult for us to do that when we are, we are exhausted physically at a soul level, like we are just worn out. And Jesus tells us that the greatest commandment in all of Scripture is to love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is to love, the neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. It's the great commandment. And so we're going, okay, we're supposed to love God with everything that we have and love our neighbors as ourselves. It reminds us that the metric for which Jesus looks at us as we follow him is the degree to which we embody sacrificial love. And yet... How are we supposed to live like that when it is so difficult for us to be loving because we're just so worn out? And you think, okay, I'm supposed to love with every single thing that I have. I have 3% in me. I have 4%. I've got so little. And the more worn out we are, the more difficult it is for us to actually love people and to actually love God. The more exhausted we are, the more difficult it is for us to actually bear the fruit of the Spirit. See, there's this beautiful thing that as we follow Jesus, our life becomes marked by this fruit of the Spirit, evidence of God at work in us. And the more exhausted we are, and the more we just kind of go, you know what, that's just life as it is, the less we actually find those fruit of the Spirit evidenced in our life. There's this passage in the Gospel of Mark where Jesus is talking about his message, and he is saying, if you share the message of Jesus with people, there will be different responses. Some people will respond well. Some people will hear it, and they'll be going, I'll give my life for this. And then he speaks about another kind of person in Mark 4.19, the kind of person that all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. All too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life. And we find that all around us. People that hear about the message of Jesus are changed by the message of Jesus. And then the worries of life, the lure of, well, all the other stuff begins to get their attention and they take their eyes off the cross and, and go in a different direction. And I just want to let you know that the enemy is happy about that, that the enemy of our very souls, there's no wonder that he wants us to be distracted and exhausted and busy because it focuses our eyes off of what really matters and we get troubled with the worries of life and we begin to get caught up in all these things that don't really matter. And Jesus teaches us that love for God and obedience to God are synonymous. If we want to demonstrate our love for God, we're obedient to him, which means we do what he says, that we live our lives in congruence with his creation and how he's designed us. 
But the truth is, it is harder for us to love when we're worn down. Like, I think all of us can actually acknowledge that fact. I mean, if you're in the room and you have a newborn baby and you're sleep deprived, I think we could acknowledge that we're not at our best then. Like, when we had our children and in that early stage, we were like walking zombies. And, and if I'm exhausted, I don't know what you're like. Maybe when you're exhausted, you just become more and more loving and kind. But most of us, we're exhausted. We're like, leave me alone. Like we're more irritable. We're all walking around like exposed nerves, wondering why there's so much conflict. Of course there is. Because we're not living in a place of, of any kind of security or peace. We're just, we're worn out, exhausted, irritable, and then with each other going, you're an idiot. No, you're an idiot. And they're like, people are the worst. Instead of going, you know what? It seems like there's something in my heart that I maybe need to deal with. You know, a nap might be a really good idea right about now. And you're like exhausted, and especially if you have kids and they come over and you're like, leave me alone. You know, you have all those things and you find yourself what? Are you being most loving to the people that are closest to you? No. Do you look more and more like Jesus? No. And yet, what do we do? We just go, it's just the world we live in. But it does not have to be this way. This is not, this is not God's will for our life. Jesus' will for your life is not for you to be chronically exhausted, sleep-deprived, and living with no margin. That is not his way of life, nor the will for your life. It is important you understand that that is the enemy of our soul's will for our life. That we are chronically exhausted, sleep-deprived, and living with no margin. The enemy is anti-Sabbath because when we live like that, we are people that do not exhibit love. We are people that become more and more selfish and self-centered. And for Lee and I, this has been a journey as we've integrated this practice of Sabbath into our own lives. For a while, it was us independently. It'd be Lee, Lee and I talking, going, what are you going to do this week to fill up your tank? It's like, well, I'm going to go walk, and I'm going to go spend time in nature. And so Lee and I both would find things. For me, it's often adventure. I want to go explore. I want to drive my truck fast somewhere that I've never been. Like, there's something in that that just fills up my tank. And so we had things that we kind of just did separately. But then increasingly, we both felt this conviction of going, but that's good if it's just about us. But what does it look like for us to embrace a rhythm of Sabbath as a family, like to actually stop. And so we began to implement Sabbath where we would stop and then we would take the kids after, after school and do something really fun. Like we go go-karting or we go to the bumper cars at East Park and then both feel nauseous afterwards as our kids are like, let's do it again. They're like, I don't have it in me. <laughs> like, I don't know if as I get closer to 40, I'll just throw up more easily, maybe. And maybe I should just throw up and let's do it again, whatever, for the sake of the children. <laughs> But then we do things like, for example, tomorrow Lee and I are taking the day off. We're taking the kids out of school and we're going to Toronto to go to the aquarium because we're making time to not just be present with our kids, but to discover things together that, that actually fill up our tank, that restore us. 
that we're embracing our rhythm as a family on a regular basis of embracing stopping and seeking Sabbath. Now, I would love to tell you we are batting a 1,000 just every week. We do it so perfectly. If you could just be like us, that would be great. But that is not the reality. There are times that you find yourself going, it would be easier to just settle back into that rhythm. And yet I find myself on weeks that I actually embrace a 24-hour Sabbath, that my capacity is higher that week, that my joy is higher, that I'm less irritable, that I'm more compassionate. And so I look and go, it's almost like God designed it that way. For us, we want to be people that embrace this rhythm of Sabbath. And we want that for you. We don't want us to become the kind of people that are just constantly just flirting with empty, just filling up a little bit and then, and then draining the tank and then filling up a little bit more and then draining it. I was, I was thinking about when I was in high school, I lived in a small town where you have limited, limited jobs and I worked at a convenience store. And through the summer, you'd be there, you'd be there, you'd try to do your 40 hours, you're trying to make as much money as you could before you go back to school. And I used to notice a, a certain group of people. These people would come and they'd put in five or seven, sometimes $10 in their car. They just barely, they just, they'd hold it for a second and then they're good. And what I noticed is they were, they were constantly filling up their tank and they would show up like five, six times in a week. And, and they would just constantly be putting just a little bit, just enough to get them through that day and never actually filling up the tank. And they wasted so much time constantly coming back to the convenience store instead of one time actually stopping and filling up their tank. And I think spiritually that's so often what we do. We do a couple little things. I just, you know, I have 20 minutes here, so I'm gonna do something that's kind of restorative and it restores us a little bit and then we go back to work and we have to deal with that difficult, that difficult coworker. We have to go to school and we deal with a professor that, that, that is challenging or, or we deal with a spouse that is not Jesus. Surprise, surprise. And so we find ourselves drained immediately of that very thing we just filled up. This is why oftentimes for people when they do vacations, it's like, man, that vacation was so good until reality and they're like, right back to it. Back to baseline, because it's not a sustainable rhythm. It's not actually filling up your tank so you can live and live well. It's this reactive, just kind of trying to medicate and avoid and just get a little bit, and I don't want that for us, and I don't want that for you. I want us to live our lives in alignment with what God says and allow him to actually fill us up so that we may overflow. If the end goal for us as we become apprentices in the way of Jesus is to become people of love, we can't do that if we're chronically exhausted. If we are meant to be people that love God and love others, we can't do that unless we embrace the practice of Sabbath. And so we're gonna spend some time over the next four weeks and we're increasingly going to integrate it into the rhythm of our church, ensuring that we're not just saying Sabbath is a good idea, but we're actually prioritizing it in our rhythms of life. And I mentioned the, the four areas we're gonna go. We're gonna stop, rest, delight, and worship. Today, stop. 
Because we can try to do all sorts of things, but if we don't stop where we are, actually cease what we are doing, we will not benefit from anything else. I want to take a moment to look all the way back at Genesis 2 with the creation story. In Genesis 2, 1 to 3, it says this. So the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was created, was completed. On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. On the seventh day, God rested. God actually Sabbathed. And I, I know the lies that we can believe. I'm so busy. I have so much going on. I have so many things to do. If the very creator of the universe, who holds all of it in his hands, can stop and Sabbath, we have no excuse. It's so easy for us to have all sorts of reasons. And we go, yeah, but I know, but you don't really know all the things um, God does. And he modeled, again, this rhythm of working and then resting. God designed this very rhythm of working and then resting into the fabric of creation. We work for six days and then we Sabbath for one. We stop for one. This is the, the rhythm that is built into who we are and how we were made. And there have been times in history that, that people have tried to disrupt it and try something different. In fact, in 1793, as part of the French Revolution, they went, you know what we want to do? We want people to become more productive. So we're going we're gonna to switch from a seven-day week to a 10-day week. They're like, oh, man, we're, we've got this. This is going to make everything better. And you know what happened? People were increasingly dealing with mental health challenges. They were actually less productive, and it got to a point where people were, were consistently taking their lives. It was harming them. This rhythm that was out of alignment, this rhythm that they thought this is, this is man-made rhythm was out of alignment with God-made rhythm, and it actually was, was killing people. And the problem is that we look at that and go, oh, those foolish French people who tried to do something differently. And then we go, but I'll take it from here. I just won't rest either. You go, we do understand that when we do that, we are actually fighting against the very grain of the universe. God's creation, God's design, and we're like, I think I know better. We think, I need to go, 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 hustle, 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 and find ourselves never stopping. Let me just give you permission and remind you, you are not a machine. You are not meant to operate 24-7. You're not meant to just continually go without rest. You are made for rhythm, and that includes Sabbath. There was a study in the U.S. where they looked at a large group of people who regularly practiced Sabbath. And it was really fascinating because they were trying to understand, okay, was there a benefit? This is not a Christian study. They're going, was there a benefit to these strange people that, that take one whole day, 24 hours where they Sabbath? And you know what they noticed? They noticed that every single person that regularly Sabbath actually lived 11 years longer. 11 years longer. And you know what's really interesting is that one of the doctors was like, if I add up all the days they took off over the course of their life, how many years does that amount to? And guess what it amounts to? 11 years. Almost like God knows what he's doing. Almost like God goes, oh wait, you think you're sacrificing? 
You think you're giving something up? No, no, no. Here. This is actually life as it's meant to be. And you can actually live your life longer and to the full by actually embracing my rhythm into my life. There is this rhythm, and we see this in Scripture in multiple places where we, you work and then you rest, and, and where we entrust God with those six days to do more than what we can do in seven. It's the same principle around tithing. We trust that God can do more with 90% of our money than we can by holding on to all of it. And every single time that we go, God, I trust you, it's moments where he breaks the grip of control in our own life and he guides us forward for us to live lives in accordance to how he has created everything. The Sabbath is valuable. It's integrated into the fabric of our creation. It is actually a potential for a life and death. And then it also is, if you're not super familiar with the Bible, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20 verse 8 says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. And in verse 11, for in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. And what's happened in the churches is we look at the Ten Commandments. It's the only one that we kind of brag on. I break that one. Like the whole murder thing, we're like, yeah, I probably shouldn't do that. Um, You know, murder, not great. But Sabbath, who cares? It's not really binding. And there's arguments is it, is it a commitment? Do we all have to do that? And there are Christians on both sides of the argument that go, no, it's not binding, and yes, it is binding, all of which who love Jesus. But I would suggest to you that's the wrong question. Do I have to do this is the wrong question. Instead is, is this actually how God designed everything? And so I can look and go, I don't wanna do that, and I can move in opposition to the grain of how he's created everything, or I can say, God designed the Sabbath on purpose for us to work six days and rest on the seventh. Wayne Mueller said it this way, the Sabbath is not a burdensome requirement from some law-giving deity. Where he's saying things like, you ought, you'd better, you must, but rather a remembrance of a law that is firmly embedded in the fabric of nature. It is a reminder of how things really are, the rhythmic dance to which we unavoidably belong. In Mark 2, Jesus is speaking about the Sabbath, and he's talking to to a group of people, and he's saying that the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. Now, he was talking to a community where they had hundreds of rules on what was Sabbath actually, how much work can I avoid doing? Or what, can I, what constitutes works? And they had all sorts of things because they wanted to make sure that they rested. They're like, we gotta make sure we rest and we need all the rules to make sure we do everything that we do. We're on the other side. We're like, how can I avoid doing this? What's the least I can do? Okay, I need to Sabbath. I got 15 minutes in between this meeting that I have or 15 minutes between the class, I'll Sabbath Then, and Jesus is reminding us that the Sabbath was made for people, that it was designed for us. 
that it's in the fabric of creation. Sabbath is a gift from God to you, to us. This is a gift. And the invitation that we have is to remember the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath. And for so many of us, we forget. And I've also been in scenarios, our, our family growing up, my grandparents, their version of Sabbath was you, just, you don't do anything except for grandma. Grandma's allowed to make all the food. Grandma's allowed to do all the dishes. Grandma's allowed to do all sorts of things, but no one else can work. And you go, that's Sabbath? Like Sabbath is where, where the, the women make all the food and the men just go, ha, enjoying the creation. No. Just, and if, you, if, if that's your family, we love you. <laughs> but let's just consider what is the point of the Sabbath? And if you want to read a book, in my master's, one of my teachers was Mark Buchanan, and he has a book called The Rest of God. It's brilliant. And so if you're someone that you, you go, I want to read more books, you can read that book. But we are invited to remember. What do we need to remember on the Sabbath? We remember that there is a creator God, and we live in his world, and he is good. We remember that there is a rhythm to creation. We remember that we don't stop when we are somehow finished because we're never finished. If you say, I'm going to rest when I'm done what I need to do, do you know what happens? More stuff comes and you're like, just a couple more things, a couple more things. This is why we stop. We stop because it's the rhythm that God built into our bodies. We are reminded and we remember during Sabbath that we are not the sum total of what we do or what we have or what people think of us. We are who we are deeply loved by. We are loved by God, the creator of the universe, our heavenly father. We are not the sum total of all of our activity. He sees us when we've surrendered to Jesus. He sees us like he sees his son, Jesus. We remember the Sabbath. We remember that our life with God is not a right, but a gift. We remember that the world is full of evil and injustice, but it's also full of goodness and beauty and truth. We remember that we owe it to God to be grateful and full of joy in his world. Sabbath is so much more than just setting aside a day. It is a way of living our lives. It's a way of being in the world. It's a practice that allows us to cultivate rest in all of our lives. It's a practice that moves us from restlessness to restfulness. And I have a list of things that it moves us from if we actually embrace Sabbath, from hurry to peace, from busyness to margin. From burnout to sustainable pace, from noise to quiet, from distraction to clarity, from isolation to solitude, from crowds to community, from grasping to gratitude. And this idea of Sabbath is not one that is just aspirational. Wouldn't it be nice if we could actually live like this? It's a practice. And practices feel clunky, and practices at time don't always come quickly, and yet we continue to practice them and improve and get better. 
And this practice of Sabbath is not a mean, or is a means to an end. It's not the end in itself. Well, I practice Sabbath and everything is good. The goal isn't even to be well-rested and happy. The goal instead is to participate in the love and life of God himself. To center our entire life and existence around him. Our whole week, our whole life around him. And to live more deeply from an identity in him. And in proximity and intimacy with him. And this way of life is not just for the Sabbath. It's not just for one day of the week. It is all week long. The biblical scholar Walter Brueggemann said it like this. He said, people who live Sabbath live all seven days differently. I've experienced that in my own life where I can tell a difference. It's important that we understand that that Sabbath isn't, it's not in the middle of the week. It's not day three or day four. It's at day seven. It's not a break in the middle of the week where we can just find a little reprieve. Instead, it is the apex, the center to which our entire week is about. This time of resting, this time of delighting, this time of worshiping, of being with God and reorienting our focus and our minds and our hearts and our bodies towards his design. The invitation is we don't have to live the kind of life that is Sabbathless, and we don't have to let the pace of life around us determine the pace with which we live. Wherever you are, whatever stage of life, not just if you have kids, not just if you are married, not just if you are a young professional, not just if you are young, not just if you are old, whatever stage you are in, Sabbath is for you. You can adopt this practice of Sabbath. And the best part is you don't have to buy it, order it, try to earn it. Instead, you have to stop. You have to stop what you're doing. You have to create space in your week to stop, to Shabbat, to cease and be done. And so I want to invite you. I want to invite you to actually take a step step toward changing the the patterns of your life, changing the rhythms of your life, and embracing Sabbath together. And I want to just encourage and challenge you. Don't think like, what's the least I can do to get something out of this? But instead to go, God, what would it look like to actually live my life according to your design? Maybe I give you a month and I see what happens. And I consider in my own life, am I more of a person that is marked by sacrificial love, love for God and love for others? God, I want to live the kind of life that is meant to be life to the full. I've tried my own way. I want something different. And I said at the very beginning that I would let you know if you are not in a co-group, you are missing out on some really significant ways that you can actually implement this in your life. Where you go in a co-group and you are wrestling with a companion guide and you're also going, here's what I tried, here's what didn't work. And someone goes, oh man, I tried that, it did not work. Here's what I tried that did work. Where we do it together, we learn from each other. I'm a huge believer in us being co-learners. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not in a co-group, come find one of us at Next Step. Sign up for a co-group before you leave. 
or go to your phone. I won't even be angry if right now you go to your phone and go to collectivechurch.ca and go to your co-group, sign up and say, I'm gonna do it right now. I want to let you know that the enemy of your soul will do everything that he can to make sure you stay busy and disconnected from community and avoid doing this. And that's not meant to be some like scare tactic where you go, oh no, I just go, this is the pattern. We choose the way of Jesus or, and I wanna encourage you, choose the way of Jesus. If you're in the room and you need prayer, we, would, we have a prayer team that's gonna be up here that would love to pray for you. Maybe it is, God, I, I need the courage to say no to some things so I can say yes to you. Maybe it's the courage for someone else to say no for you so you don't have to. Maybe you're dealing with something and, and you can come up to the, the prayer team and let them pray for you. I just, I wanna encourage you. What would it look like this month if we actually stopped? If we actually rested, delighted, and worship? What would it look like if we embrace the kind of rhythm that Jesus designed us for? I wonder if people around us would take notice. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you Sunday.